The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. John chapter 15. And uh, I'm just going to read the first eight verses. You read along silently with me. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We ask now that you bless your word as it is taught today. Uh, instruct us in our hearts and encourage us. Help us, Lord, to, to live daily for you in every way. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We ask you to bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been discussing discipleship in our uh, series on the Christian life. And so far, we've talked about the requirements for discipleship. Uh, we said, number one, that a disciple, uh, discipleship requires commitment. Commitment, putting God first in our life. God is before all things. And everything that we do uh, centers around God the Father. Uh, we don't add God to our life. We add our life to God. And, and so that's important. Secondly, we said discipleship requires conformity. And we are to conform to the teachings of Jesus Christ. We are to conform to the word of God. Again, we don't alter the God, God's word to fit our life. We alter our life to uh, fit the word of God. And, and uh, so often, this is why we have so many different variations of the scripture. Because men do not want to do what God wants. They want to do what they want. So they rewrite the word so that they feel good in themselves when they when they. Uh, do what they want to do, and suppose that God's okay with that. Then thirdly, we talked about uh, discipleship requires conduct. And by conduct, we talked about a fruitful life. Now, we just read in John chapter 15 about fruit. And so many, there are so many churches today that consider that word fruit to be soul-winning production. But I, I have to tell you, that is not, when, when the Lord talks about fruit, he's not talking about that at all. Uh, he's actually talking about the works of the, of, of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. He's talking about the, the, the product of our life. That, when he talks about fruits, that's what he's talking about. And we are to live a fruitful life. We are to live a life that honors and glorifies the Father, and, and that's done through good conduct by the way we, we live our lives. Uh, and then we talked about discipleship requires, number four, compassion. And by compassion, we talked primarily about a love for the brethren. Now, if you notice the qualities that we've 
we've so far discussed concerning the disciple, you can see that God is building a person that is much like his son, Jesus Christ. So today I want to put the icing on this cake and talk about the fifth requirement for discipleship, which is continuance. And by continuance, we mean keeping the faith. Let's pray before we go on. I don't know if we prayed yet or not, but let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Help us today as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, we read, then, Je- then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Uh, Jesus said, If ye continue in my words. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about a discipleship. Discipleship requires continuance. I have a statement on your faith on your sheet there. It's this. Faith is hoping for that which seems unattainable and seeing that which cannot be seen. Faith is hoping for that which seems unattainable and seeing that which cannot be seen. As believers, we are given by God the gift of faith. Unless God administer faith to us, we would not have faith. Natural man cannot exhibit faith. Now, he can exhibit a type of faith. He can exhibit a semblance of faith. And, of course, we know that the devil is a master of, 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 of duplicating God's miracles, but without God's effect. So we, have a, we may have a form of faith before we're saved, but we don't have true faith. True faith is given to us by God. Um, and what we do with this faith that God has given us will determine whether or not we are true disciples of Jesus Christ. Now this morning, in order to test this, I want to examine the faith of a disciple in Christ. So let's look at some attributes. Number one, letter A, it's, is this, live by faith. A disciple lives by faith. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, we read, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now this is a, a direct quote from the Old Testament. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, we read, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Uh, Notice that there's a comparison here. The proud man, the man that trusts in his own righteousness or works, is an unjust soul, an unjust man. However, the just man, the man that is justified by Christ alone, his is a just soul, and he is a redeemed man. This man lives by his faith, in God, and God alone. This man does not live by sight. A disciple does not live by sight because the things we see can affect us, can't they? The things, the things we see can frighten us. They, they can cause us to lose heart and, and, and alter our course. 
But when we live by faith, when we walk by faith, when we look beyond that which we see and know and trust and believe in Christ, then we find the courage and we find the energy to go forth and to continue in the path that God has set before us. Sometimes those paths, young people, are scary. As you young people are, are entering into your college years and your formidable years in your life and you're, 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 you're going forward, sometimes those things are scary. They can be very intimidating. And, and we need to learn to live by our faith. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we read, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We have to be careful. Um, now, he says there, lean not unto our own understanding. You see, our understanding is based upon our experiences in life. We, we go through things and we gain experience, and we, we believe uh, that, that we have these things uh, and we make decisions based upon these, and sometimes those decisions aren't so smart, are they? Sometimes they're not so good. Because if we make them on our own understanding, we may goof up. But when we come to God, when a decision needs to be made, and we come to the Lord and we pray, and we ask the Lord to reveal to us His will, He will do so. Uh, I've, I've yet in my Christian life to, to come to God in times of decision and ask Him to reveal His will for me in that. I've yet to have Him fail to answer that. God will, give, God will reveal to you His decisions. You just have to have the faith to accept them because sometimes the path that God sets before you is not the nicest path. It's not what, a, what would seem to be the best. Jesus reminded us that the unsaved man is consumed by the things of life. However, he told us that the children of God have no need for concern or worry. Look at Matthew chapter 6 with me. Let's all go there. And these are familiar scriptures, but I think it benefits us to look at them. Matthew chapter 6. And let's begin in verse 27. We read here, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day, is the evil thereof. I want to say two things right here. First, I want to say this. 99% of the things we worry about never happen. You know that? Most of the time we sit there and we fret and we worry about something and it never even happens. So we wasted all that time. And secondly, 
God knows what you need. God knows what's best for you. And he gives you what he wants you to have. Learn to be content with what God gives you. And, and don't strive to, to, to obtain things that you think you need. Trust the Lord and let him show you what you need. Now let's consider this thing of worry for a moment. We claim to be men and women of faith, but are we? I've had people ask me over the years, is it a sin to worry? Well, if we believe that God is in control of all things, then we should know that God's will shall be done in every aspect of our lives. And if God's will is always done, then worry is useless. This, I believe, is what Jesus meant when he said, why take ye thought? Now listen to me. Worry questions God's faithfulness and integrity. Did not God say that he would provide all of our needs? Did not God say that he would never leave us nor forsake us? So if we worry and fret, what we in fact are doing is questioning God's faithfulness and his integrity. Because he's already promised us these things. And he's not a a liar. In Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now the hardest thing for any of us to do is to put aside our fears and concerns and go forward with the confidence that no matter what, all will be according to God's will. That, that's a difficult thing to do. I know that. I'm not standing here today and tell you I never worry. I'd be a liar if I said that. However, when I, when I begin to worry, I stop and question myself and say, what are you worrying about? I always ask myself this. Is there anything I can do about this? Because it makes no sense to worry about something you cannot do anything about. Because if you can't do anything about it, it's going to be. And there's nothing you can do about it, so worrying about it isn't going to change it. All it's going to do is give you an ulcer. So don't worry about it. Just trust the Lord. Now, introspection's good at a time like that. Lord, is this coming upon me because of something in my life that I need to change, that I need to fix, Lord? That's a good thing to do when we're going through things like that. Stop and look inside and say, is it me, Lord? Did I do something wrong? Do I need to change something? Because a lot of times when we face trouble, it's God trying to teach us a lesson. So we need to stop blaming everything around us and look inside and say, what have I done wrong, Lord? What do I need? Sometimes we haven't done anything wrong. Sometimes it's just God wants to glorify himself and he's asked us to suffer a little bit. And if that's the case, rejoice and be glad that you've been counted worthy to suffer for, the, for Christ. Now, I know I speak as a madman. But this is the word of God, is it not? Didn't Jesus say rejoice when we go through trials and tribulations? If, 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 if God calls on you and says, look, I want you to suffer, and through that I'm going to glorify myself then rejoice and be thankful and suffer with faith and courage. Okay? Just remember these things. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good 
to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, the working together for good there does not necessarily mean for our good. It means for the good of God's purpose, for the good of God's will. But ultimately, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, ultimately, where are you going to be? You're going to be with the Lord in heaven. So no matter what happens in this life, nothing can keep us from the love of God. Nothing can take away from us our, our eternal state in heaven. So even if something seemingly bad happens to me in this life and, and takes my life, I'm going to be with the Lord in heaven, and that is good, is it not? Amen? So all things work together for good. That's what the, that's what the three Hebrew children told Nebuchadnezzar. That's what they were trying to tell him. When they said, we're not careful to answer you, O king. If it be God's will, he will deliver us from this fire. But if not, he will deliver us from you, O king. And what they're saying is, if that fire kills me, you got no more control over me. You got nothing. I'm going to be with the Lord. And if God decides not to, that that fire will not kill me, guess what? You don't have anything on me then either. Because I beat you. And that's exactly the attitude that they had. So we know that all things work together for good. True discipleship demands that we trust in God's faithfulness to us. Then, not only are we to live by faith, but secondly, we're to contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. In Jude, in verse 3, we read, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, this word content, contend, I'm sorry, has several meanings. But all of the meanings of the word contend can be broken down into two central thoughts. And those two thoughts, thoughts are struggle and preservation. So when we talk about contending, we're talking about struggling or we're talking about preservation. That's basically what it comes down to. Now let me, let me look at these one at a time. So let's begin with struggle. What exactly do we mean when we speak about a struggle for the faith? Well, we do not imply that we should be mean-spirited or argumentative over uh, another faith. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be be mean-spirited, we shouldn't be argumentative, we shouldn't be arrogant. That's not what it means to struggle for the faith. Romans chapter 12, in fact, Paul tells us, if it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, we read, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, I'm really weary of the fight that's taking place today among Christian people in our nation. The hateful and hurtful actions taken by so many, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about uh, cults or, or pagans or heretics. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about within the realms of Christianity, within the Christian faith. I'm talking about the, the backbiting and the, and, and the stabbing and the, and the hurtful things. The cutting and critical things being said about another church or, or another pastor. The Bible offers a greater condemnation for this than anything I could say. Let's look at the book of Jude together, if you would. 
Jude, just before Revelation, for those of you who are Bible students. Let's go to Jude, and let's begin at verse number 8. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, which contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Uh, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. God will take care of those that spread lies. I do not need to fight with them. God can and will wage his own battles. So when we talk about struggle, the struggle for the faith, we're not talking about fighting and arguing and, and, and bickering and all these things. When we discuss the struggle for the faith, we are primarily discussing the struggle, listen to me, within our own hearts and minds. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Listen, the struggle for the faith, the contending for the faith, for the most part, takes place inside of here. You see, my flesh does not want to live by faith. My flesh does not want to obey God. Paul said the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary. That's the struggle. Do you understand that? Our struggle, our struggle for the faith is not without, it's within. Now, if we deceive ourselves and we believe our struggle is without, we won't pay any attention to the struggle within and the flesh will conquer us. Do you understand the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church? Amen? Amen. So what's going on out there is not going to affect what's going on in here. But what's going on in here will affect what's going on in here. The church can't be destroyed from without, but it sure can be destroyed from within. And so the struggle that you and I face were to contend and overcome the flesh and live in the spirit. That's the struggle. Now, without a doubt, there will be times when we will have to argue our position in the faith. There are going to be times when we're going to have to argue for the faith. However, this we do, how? By our preaching and teaching. Not by attacking, or as Paul stated it in Scripture, biting and devouring one another. Yeah, we, we do at times have to have to argue for the faith. But that's done right there. That's where it's done. But the struggle we face on a daily basis for the faith takes place in here. But then there is another thought concerning the word to contend, and that is preservation. 
Now, preservation, the thought here is one of maintaining with constancy our doctrine. I said that it's maintaining with constancy. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Did you see that? Every wind of doctrine. Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, and you've been around long enough, we've seen a lot of winds of doctrines, haven't we? And we see those winds on the television. The big TV evangelists. TV evangelists come and go. They come and go. The wind blows and here comes another one. And he goes away. And then the wind blows again here comes another one. And people around this country are chasing after all these doctrines. Now, when we talk about contending for the faith, we talk about being constant in our doctrine. We talk about maintaining our beliefs, regardless of what's taking place around us. There's an illustration of that in Scripture. Jesus was walking on the water, coming to his disciples, and Peter saw him and said, Lord, bid me come to thee in the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter uh, got out of the boat and started walking on the water. And he was walking, but then the Bible says, all of a sudden, the wind began to be boisterous and the waves, and he looked and saw the wind and the waves, and he began to what? Began to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me! And Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. You see, the winds and the waves and all the noise and all the other things can detract us and can cause us to lose our focus and can cause us to waver in our doctrine. So a disciple contends for the faith not only by fighting the battle within and and walking in the Spirit, but also by maintaining his doctrine, by being constant in in his walk with God. I put another statement, I believe, on your sheet. It's this. I contend for the faith by my constancy to do those things I know to be true regardless of the resistance or the persecution I may face for doing so. Again, I contend for the faith by my constancy to do those things I know to be true regardless of the resistance or the persecution I may face for doing so. So we live by faith. We contend for the faith. But then, next, letter C, the disciple will stand with faith. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, we're beginning in verse 10. I finally, brethren, the, uh, or finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. I'm going to stop reading right there for time's sake. It is so important to remember that we are in a battle that cannot be fought by human means. In this war, we are not killed by smart bombs or guided missiles. We do not dodge bullets or grenades. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Our weapons in this war are the word of God and faith. We must wield the sword of the Spirit and allow it to do what only it can do. Romans chapter 10, we read, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call in him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So, uh, Paul further states in that verse, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the deciding asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. <coughs> Scripture says, And having done all to stand, having done all that we can do through the word of God, we are to stand in our faith. We are to trust that God will do what we cannot do. In the time of battle, cowards turn and run. There are, it happens on every battlefield. When the battle gets, becomes the hottest, and the, the situation is, is the most direst, cowards will turn and run. But disciples are not to be cowards. We are to be strong in our faith because of our, of our trust in God. And we are not to, to give up and run. Every one of you in this room, every one of you in this room can think of people that were in the battle with you or with us at one time or another in this place. And they quit and they run. They're gone. Now, the Bible says they, 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 they forsook us because they were not of us. But there are those that, that, that backslide. There are those that turn and run. Now, a disciple of God stands. He will not turn, he will not run, he will stand. He'll do all that he can do. And after he's done everything that he can do, he'll stand and, and let the Lord prove what he can do. And this is important to us. We must, we must remember this. We're to trust that God will do what we cannot do. The time will come when all we can do is to stand upon the principles of God's word and watch what God will do. Now that is not to say that we must not do all that we can do. We can't just sit around and say, well, God, you promised to take care of me, so go ahead and take care of me. Many years ago, I, this was probably 35 years ago or so, I, was, I had a, our school kids one day, and we were, we were at the park. And in the park, there was a, a, a man I knew. I saw him sitting there, and I went over to him, and I said, hey. And I, I, I said, how you doing? He said, waiting for the Lord, brother. I said, you're waiting for the Lord? Yeah, I'm waiting for the Lord. I said, well, what about your job? Oh, I don't have a job. 
I'm just waiting for the Lord. He's coming soon. I said, I agree. He's coming soon. But you know, the Bible said, he that does not work should not eat. I said, you know, you can watch for the Lord while you're busy laboring. So get up and go do something, man. Don't just sit here and wait on God. Do all that you need to do and God will add the rest. You know, this, this was seen in, in Moses' struggles with Pharaoh. Some people never see this, but if you pay attention closely, the first few times that, that, that Moses encountered Pharaoh, who did the work? Anybody, anybody know? Aaron. Moses told Aaron, take my staff and lay it before Pharaoh and, and it'll turn into a serpent. Aaron laid the, the staff and the, the magicians came and did the same. And then uh, Moses said, take my staff and smite the water and it'll turn to blood. And Aaron smote the water and turned to blood. And that went on for a while, but then all of a sudden, Moses took over the battle himself. He didn't call upon Aaron to step in anymore because Aaron had done all that Aaron could do. Now Moses was going to take over. You know what that is? Aaron pictures us. Moses pictures God. We do what we can do. We do what God tells us to do. And when God knows that we can't do anymore, guess what? God takes over. And God starts to do. But we need to do all that we can do. There's too many Christians in this country who have become spectators. They just, they just come to a church and they sit in a pew and, and they, just, they just observe everything happening and they're not putting their hand to the plow. Listen, we need to do all that we can do. In Ephesians 6.13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Do all that you can do. Do all that we can do ourselves. And then God will, will take over from there. And quickly and lastly, uh, letter D, we overcome through faith. 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The disciple overcomes through faith. John, 1 John 4, 4. Ye are God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Who is more powerful? God or Satan? God. Amen. And we overcome through God. Do you know that do you know that there's nothing in this earth that can separate you from the love of God? you know that? Nothing can separate you from God's love. We can overcome anything. Even, even death has been overcome by the Lord. Now, again, and I'll close with this. I'm not saying that no harm will ever come to you, that no evil will ever befall you. Don't get me wrong. But we overcome everything, don't we? We overcome by what? So a, a disciple must have continuance. A disciple must go forward and continue in the things of Christ by faith and with courage. All right, folks, that's it. i got to stop. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web 
at www.bebaptist.org.